Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Prepare for Dharma talk. Hmm. So good to see you all. Um, I want to talk about the Bodhisattva's vow. And this is something, as you probably know, we've been reading uh, during Zazen every morning now during this practice period. And uh, it's really been working on me as I think it should. And um, I really, I've been really curious about how to work with it, what it says. And I think what's really been, has really struck me about, about the words in particular are uh, how it says, you know, all is the mysterious truth of the awakened life, the never failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of the awakened life. None can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light. This realization made our ancestors and teachers extend tender care with respectful hearts, even to such beings as birds and beasts. This teaches us that all is the merciful incarnation of the awakened one. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Who can be ungrateful or not respectful, even to senseless things, not to speak of humans, even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate towards them. And if by any chance they should turn against us, become sworn enemies and persecute us, we should sincerely bow down with humble language and the reverent understanding. They are the merciful messengers of the awakened one who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through countless cycles of space and time. And I, every time I, I chant that, I don't know if y'all have this experience, but sometimes when I read the chants in the morning, I kind of have this thing where I'm, I'm trying to read the chant and I'm also like thinking about it at the same time. And it kind of like trips me up and I have to, what's that? A little, a little louder. Can y'all hear me okay on the, okay. I'll try to enunciate it better. Um, so I've been having that experience with, with this chant in particular, or this, this teaching. And I've been wondering, who are these fools <laughs> that it's talking about? Uh, you know, and how are we supposed to work with them? Because I think it's one thing, you know, to say the chant and, and talk about, you know, being with life as it is. And it's another thing to actually like, work with it in our daily life, right? I'm sure we may be familiar with that experience. Um, and I guess I've been realizing in, in my, my own life, as I've been thinking about this particular vow, how I'm, I'm kind of becoming more aware of how, how I work with these fools in my life <laughs> and what they are. And, you know, the, the disparity between like, am I actually like bowing down before them in, in the way that this vow is asking us to do it? Or am I instead trying to push them away and, and look for things to be more ideal. 
I guess is kind of the, the schism I'm realizing. Um, and so, uh, along with, with us studying this vow, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in a program with Naropa right now, um, in a graduate program. And one of the things we've been studying is a concept called Shenpa. Have y'all heard of Shenpa? Are you familiar? Uh, it, was, it was new to me. Um, but uh, it's from the Tibetan tradition. And Shenpa is basically, not basically, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a Tibetan word for attachment or being hooked. And uh, it's, it's kind of, a, I mean, it's hard to translate these things sometimes, right? But um, it's, it's attachment, it's being hooked, and it's also the reflexive pattern of moving away from the present moment being hooked by what we associate with comfort instead of discomfort. Mm. So it's, it's, uh, it's both the thing that hooks you or triggers you, but it's also the movement away from that thing. Mm. And um, in the Tibetan tradition, you know, it's very colorful and they have all these uh, demons and, and things that are really kind of iconic and evocative. And the Shenpa demon is covered in hooks. And, and that's that's the demon of Shempa, or I don't know if they call it a demon, but that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> um, and so it's uh, so Pema Chodron talks about this uh, quite a bit. She's from the um, Shabala tradition and uh, Tibetan tradition, and uh, she she likens this to. Uh, this being like poison ivy, it's both the poison ivy and the desire to itch, mm. to scratch. And really, um, I, I I feel like you know I've been I've been kind of holding these two concepts: the, the bodhisattva's vow and this vow, this uh, concept of shempa in my mind, and seeing this, I, I think they're kind of related, uh, because you know when I'm when I feel hooked by things or people. The things in my mind, you know, concepts or like the inner critic or whatever I get hooked by, I can feel myself contract and I'm moving away from life as it is and from seeing these, you know, fools or whatever obstacles as actual tools for my own awakening, which I think is what they, they could be, we could see them that way. Uh, so usually, you know, like I said, to me, it feels like a contraction and a pulling back Someone says something and, you know, I can kind of, uh, when I'm aware of it, I kind of feel myself pull back and I have that initial like kind of reaction, um, pulling away from life as it is, like I said. And usually react, we react to these kinds of things in one of three ways. So either pleasure seeking, moving to a place of what we consider comfort instead of a discomfort, aggression, or numbing out or dissociating. I don't know if y'all can relate to those three behaviors. <laughs> um, and I, I was, uh, so that again, this is how Pema Chodron characterizes the way we typically move away from, from things. And I, I saw a parallel between um, uh, what we avow during our chance in the morning also, our ancient twisted karmas of pleasure seeking, I, I could call the twisted karma of greed or aggression, I could call the twisted karma of hate, 
or numbing out, I could call the twisted karma a delusion. So really it's, you know, it's, it's acting in one of those ways, which is what we do, right? That's what we're working with. That's why we have out every morning, because we're, we're saying, this is what I'm working with. Um, and Shenba really has, um, uh, I think, kind of an addictive quality to it. And with that, there's a, a hangover <laughs> quality associated with it as well. You know, it's like when something triggers you, a person triggers you, and you have that kind of like pulling back reaction, and then you lash out, or you say something you maybe didn't mean, now there's like fallout. There's, there's always a consequence to acting in that way. Whether it's minor or major, there's always some, some kind of consequence, it seems like. Um, so, you know, and again, when I started learning about this concept of Shenpa, I was almost kind of disoriented by it because I could, just, I could see like where, so like my whole life is covered in this stuff, you know? Like everything feels like, I'm acting in this way. So for me, it's been a real practice of really like slowing down and being like, oh, there's one. Yeah, I feel, I do feel hooked right now. Uh, and how am I going to, how, how am I going to choose to deal with this? And sometimes in those times, I can feel myself just acting out anyway, you know, it's like, that's why I think there's kind of this, like, it's a, it's a conditioned pattern. It's something that's part of the, the default mode network of, of our minds sometimes. So how can we, if these are truly messengers of the awakened one, if we believe that, how can we work with them? How can we actually work with them? Uh, because if we keep, you know, finding ways to beat them back, beat them away and treat them like things that we don't want in our life, we're missing opportunities, I feel. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna keep coming back. Um, so, um, you know, this is hard to do because these are things that have become sworn enemies to us and vow to persecute us, right? Uh, it's how it feels. Um, so I guess, I guess what I, what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to offer was like, how can we see these kinds of occurrences as, and, you know, people and thoughts and things as, um, not as obstacles, but as opportunities for awakening. And so, uh, um, Pema Chodron, as I said, she really talks about this a lot. She offers a technique. I, I really like uh, techniques that I take off the cushion because I feel like I have the experience of my practice on the cushion and then off the cushion, I need, I need some help. <laughs> so uh, for me, I, I really rely on these kinds of techniques. So that's what I wanted to, to share with y'all. Um, so a couple I'll offer. Uh, Pema talks about the four R's. And so the four R's, I'll, I'll go through this. And then uh, what I wanted to do was actually, we'll, we'll talk about it and then we'll, we'll go through a, um, a chance to kind of try it out. And then we'll talk about it, see what you think about this. Uh, so the four R's, so first recognize that you're hooked. And that's really the most important one. And that's like the foundation. So something happened and you're like, uh-oh, you know, like I, something's, something's got me. And, and again, for me, it might be different in your body. And it might be different based on what's happening. For me, it's like that. I can feel myself contract and I'm like, something needs to happen. Recognize your hook. You're hooked. 
And then ideally you can bring some humor to it and be like, oh, there's that, right? There's that thing that I do <laughs> in this particular instance or with this person or whatever. Um, if you can see the Shenpa at this first R recognize, just as you're starting to close down when you can feel the tightening, there's a possibility of catching the urge to do the habitual thing. So now you have a little possibility and a little choice of what you want to do with it. The second R is refrain. So don't do the thing you normally would do, dissociating, lashing out, or whatever it is. Um, lean in, abide with it, feel it, get curious with it, and stay awake to it. This is still the second R of refrain. Refrain from causing harm, which is a part of our vows, right? Um, relax is the third R. Stop fighting with it. So at this point, you said, I'm hooked. I'm not going to do the thing. And I'm going to relax into it. I'm going to stop pushing it away. And I'm going to allow myself to actually be present to the situation as it is. And the fourth R is resolve. Go on with your life and resolve to do this again the next time. Hmm. So it's recognize, refrain, relax, and then resolve. And it's, uh, this is a practice. This is a practice. We're not going to get this right every time. We're still going to act out. We're still going to do our things. But this, this could be a tool to help us, I hope, be able to address this uh, dynamic, I guess, or just, you know, how, how things are. Um, so we'll, we'll come back to the four R's here in a minute, but then I just wanted to touch on another tool that I think is really helpful, which is RAIN, which is uh, Tara Brock's teaching. I'm familiar with RAIN. Um, and uh, her acronym, I also love acronyms. <laughs> her acronym is uh, RAIN, which is uh, recognize, allow, investigate, nurture. So it's very similar. Recognize something's happened, allow for it, investigate it, get curious, and then nurture, which is uh, applied compassion, basically. And I kind of like the, the fourth R of resolve, the way they say, go on with your life. And so I kind of changed the acronym a little bit into R-A-I-L. So recognize, allow, investigate, let that shit go. <laughs> and then resolve to keep going. Um, and I was, I was thinking, recognize, allow, investigate, resolve, but that was rare. And I thought that was not as, mm -hmm. we, want, we want this to be common, not rare, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the other things I, I wanted to say about this, and again, I want to give us an opportunity to, to try this together and, and talk about it, hopefully. Um, because this is a practice, is that I think the, the more we're willing to practice the way over time, um, we can find the prajna, we can find the, the wisdom in these uh, obstacles, these fools, these things that we have, this shenpa that we have to, have to work with. Um, and I know for, for me, when I can, uh, so I'm also a, 
a Hakomi practitioner and a student of Hakomi, and this is very aligned with, with the teachings of Hakomi as well, is, you know, when you can go deeper and deeper into your actual felt experience and your bodily experience, there's wisdom there, right? It's a, it's a gateway to the, the subconscious, the unconscious, how we make these things conscious and learn from them. And the more, again, personally, I can see, I can see this shenpa, this kind of caught feeling and this like a rising of energy as uh, prajna, the more I can, the more I feel open to it, the more I can work with it. And uh, Chogyam Trungpa talks about it in this way in his book, The Teacup and the Skull Cup. He says, prajna and energy are the same thing. It's actually equated, it's the same thing. So prajna is the big wisdom like Prajnaparamita, the things that we as bodhisattvas rely upon is Prajna. So that I feel is something that I can get behind leaning into. Um, yeah, just making sense so far. So I, I, I wanted to invite us to try this out right now together. And uh, so, um, Maybe just let's let's get mindful together and just kind of turn in. You know, we don't uh, don't have to ring any bells or anything, but just kind of just like tune into your own experience for a minute, and then uh, see if you can access something from your recent past that feels like shenba to you. This might be something that you're working with, maybe you're currently experiencing, or something, something that you've recently encountered that feels like this, this quality of shenpa, this quality of getting hooked and wanting to act, to move away from it. And then once you feel in touch with that, notice what qualities it might have for you. Is there um, is a feeling in your body? Is there something moving? Is there a discomfort? Is there a pushing away or some way you can feel in your body this this quality? And once you, if you feel in touch with this sensation, what does it feel like to refrain from getting hooked by it? Maybe that means taking some, some breaths and breathing into it. Maybe take some, some deepening breaths and see how can I can I not move compulsively from this feeling? And what is that like? How do you notice the sensation in, in your body and your, your relationship to this? thing, this thing that might sometimes make you feel hooked. 
and see what it feels like to just let, let it go. Maybe take a, a breath and let it out in the out breath. Just let this go for now. And then with, with that resolve that maybe there's some wisdom here. There might be uh, another way we can work with this. And when you feel ready, you can come back to the, the room. Notice how you feel after deepening around this. Now I'm really curious what that was like for you. What you what do you think about this possible tool and our, our, this vow that we're saying out every day during Zazen and turning towards things that might be difficult to us, something that's actually possibly there to help us be emancipated. This is really great. I mean, it's, um, it's the essential part of our practice, right? Just to, but it's, <clears throat> um, to me, the hardest part is once you, you realize that you're in it in a moment, you know, and then trying to turn it off or, you know, so there's a, a thing about switching into a, a, a bigger space or something. And I think that it's, um, that's the tricky part yeah. is, is being mm -hmm. able to do that when you're already triggered. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of playing with it. It was possible to do it, but the, but I wasn't in the situation. I was just had it in my mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess it's just practicing, right? Yeah. Just practicing. You know, switching, switching. Yeah. And the cushion is the best place to practice, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like you're, like for me, I was, I, you know, thinking about what I wanted to offer today and sitting this morning, I was, you know, things were coming up and I was like really able to like, <laughs> I, could, I could feel, you know, like just random thoughts or whatever. And like, I could feel like, oh, there's a little contraction. Mm -hmm. And because I'm sitting, I'm not, I'm not causing any harm because I'm not doing anything, which is one of my favorite parts about Zazen. Is I'm not. <laughs> right? Right? Okay, uh, to be quiet. Yeah, you know, like I can't, I can't do the thing. So you know, it's like that for me is like this is this is a, a laboratory to, to practice with this, and you know, I can, for me, I can really feel like okay, I'm going to breathe into it, and now I feel myself settling and. Then I get a little curiosity on board and I'm like, is there something there? Like, is there you now a prajna moving through that I'm not maybe aware of yet? Or anyway, it's a, it's a lifelong exploration. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I love the, um, the idea of uh, 
demon or a deity of, of having, I mean, I like, I could see it when you described it with hooks and very fierce. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I had the experience of having the experience that created that feeling and that deity showing up and like coming toward me and even, even grabbing me mm. and to, and the idea to go back to like Thich Nhat Hanh or Shimur Suzuki to say, have tea with this, mm. you know, be, be compassionate. And, and just what the vow says to, to bow down and say, thank you, you're here. Thank you. Thank you for this teaching. Mm -hmm. And that felt a real Shabbatily shift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then to let it go. Um, and to resolve. I had the I had the the feeling or the thought of the deity kind of uh, going off smaller and smaller into the distance and bowing again and saying, I'll see you again. Next time, yeah. Next time, keep that teapot warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was really cool. Maybe I should be at the Vajrayana. I really, really enjoyed this as well, and it, it felt super useful even just going through it uh, all together. Um, and something that has been really supportive for for me this morning is sitting here with all of you, first of all, um, and then the, the larger realization of the support that we have that's out there. As, as John Eric and I were walking here this morning, there were these migrating birds going mm. overhead and it was a lot of them and they were big white birds and the way the sun was gleaming on them they looked golden mm. um, and it, it I, at the moment I had this realization or this feeling of support from mm. all kinds of places um, and so I think that that's the that's the part about the nurture step or the letting it go or the resolve to me that I can't do that on my own. I can't do it on my own. I've tried and tried. I know I can't, <laughs> but there is help and there is support and being, being with all of you um, all over the world at, in all the various time zones, um, supporting each other in, on this path that feels, that feels really helpful to me. Thank you for bringing this this morning. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah where, where I got stuck, probably other people too, is with the resolve. Huh. And I thought, like, now as a circle, and that took me right back to the beginning. So I can see myself going in this loop. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'd like you to tell me exactly how to do Getting stuck as a part of it, too. Yeah. And then I guess recognizing that. Yeah, and you went, I mean, you 
he made this motion, right? So it's like, yeah, this is the this is the cycle, this is the wheel, exactly that. Got hands. Oh, uh, Maria. Hi. Yeah, it's just as Jessica was speaking, it just reminded me of you know the murmurations and that when I get triggered or caught up, it's like I suddenly I'm I'm a bird that flies away from that murmuration and there's all of them over there and there's me. There's like a real feeling of separation and on on my own. And the tendency can be to just stay in it on my own to try and work it out when actually flying back to the murmuration and joining connection again or finding a teacher or finding someone to kind of work with that knot because it can really feel like quite a tight knot can't it and i think sometimes if it's quite a big kind of trigger it's like it stays there and i keep revisiting it and keep coming back and what what is what is it wanting to tell me what what is it that i'm doing what is it that I need? What what what's going on here? And and like you said, in sitting, I'll sit and I'll see all these different parts of me come up that kind of feel insecure or unsettled or or just need some reassurance or need some guidance or you know. And it's that it's that kind of the urge is to disconnect, and it's an auto and it's disconnecting from self as well. And that we kind of separate into some place that kind of. Um, takes its grip on its position, <laughs> you know, and it, it's kind of really kind of just kind of, well, that, that's all right, you know, it's okay, we've got this, it's, we don't need to do this. And, and I think I always remind myself that all our parts have good intention. Mm -hmm. They all have good intention, they're all protecting, they all feel like they need to do what they're doing. And it's kind of, yeah, just really sitting and, and creating a space to really see what is that? What, what's it doing? What does it feel like it needs to do and and what can Maria, you know, kind of say to this part that, you know, it's it doesn't need to do that. It's OK. We've got this. I'll just sit beside it or get somebody else to sit beside you with it and, and just unfold it rather than wait till it's passed. My tendency is wait till it's all unraveled and passed. Then I'll tell somebody about it. What's just happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Laurie knows that. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's connecting with it that I think is really rich. If we can really connect in it when it's there, that's so rich. You know, but also if we can't to just really give it space and kindness and tenderness because these hooks can be really can kind of spin us off because I notice my thoughts can spin off as well in in all kinds of beliefs and ideas and you know that aren't true you know they're, they're not they feel so like Tara Brack would say you know real but not true mm -hmm. you know but we get drawn into it and we believe it and then we think we've got to hide it and then we get shame and embarrassment and you know we don't want to tell anybody that this is what's going on you know we want we want to keep it you know and uh, yeah so it's really connecting and then and then they often say yeah me too you know me too yeah yeah thank yeah. you yeah, yeah thank you so much john eric thank yeah. you yeah you know uh i love that you and, and jessica are bringing in this like we can't do this alone there's you know this relational quality to this which is what we're doing here at Apamata, is um you know, those hooks are so alluring, it's, mm. you know, and that's why I said they have this kind of addictive quality to mm. it. And so to be able to share this with people and say like, man, I'm hooked right now, you know, or whatever, it's like, I need some help <laughs> pulling this out. I think is, is really 
powerful. And, and to bring us back to Pema Chodron, because she talks about this so much, she says it at, at uh, Gumpo Abbey, where she is, they look forward to experiencing Shemba together. Mm-hmm. It's like a part of their like active practice. And they're like, Ooh, I got a, a thing going on. <laughs> you know, like, to them, they, you know, at least the way she writes about it, they see it as kind of an opportunity. Yeah, well, the, there's a tendency to want to keep hold of it because it feels right and real and true. And it's like, oh, you know, and, and so there's there's a resistance as well. And it's kind of being with that resistance as well, isn't it? And and kind of allowing that to soften. And it's only with sitting and being with that it will ever soften, you know, otherwise it just kind of stays, stays as it is. Anyway, I'll let, I'll let Ellen come back to come down now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ellen? You need to unmute Ellen. I said, thank you, John Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was really useful, and I appreciate appreciate that. Um, I agree that that the first step is the most important catching it before you've already done something you wish you hadn't done. And um, as far as resolve go, I'm with everybody else. Uh, Norman Fisher talks about the last step being uh, repeat, be prepared to repeat (laughs) because these things uh, happen uh, again and again. And so anyway, thank you. Thank you for the the topic. Thank you. Uh, Genev, I think you're next. Hi. Um, thank you so much for this talk. I absolutely loved it. Um, I have listened to Pema Chodron talk about Shenpa before. I find it a really powerful way of exploring these things. And um, I thought you um, explicated these things beautifully. Um, I'm in the middle of a an ongoing struggle my heart is just full of sorrow and I my reaction is usually to curl up in bed with a book and a cat and and um um so I I noticed a couple of things about this exercise the first one was that I was already trying to work with myself on this during my sit today but all I could really do was you know, express love toward this part of myself, but I didn't feel anything really shift. Whereas when we did the exercise, I felt shifts happening. And so I really want to echo this um, critical aspect of this process of being relationality and and just to admit that I'm, I still need that a lot. Um, and I'm about to start practicing Hakomi with Gabriela in Mexico City. So I'm really looking forward to that process um, and to having a group that I regularly um, practice Hakomi with. It's totally new to me. But the other thing is that um, while this was happening, I had this really weird experience of a paradox um, in that I felt that at a certain moment, I went much closer, so I, it became I it became much I became much closer to it, and it became much farther away from me. It was 
such a viscerally strange experience mm. to go closer and zoom out at the same time. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jeanette. And we have Carolyn next. Thanks, John Eric. I, I also needed this too. Um, and the reminder of Shenpa um, has been so useful. Um, one of the things that I'm noticing in this practice period and in actually doing that exercise, I use rain all the time, but I noticed as I, I, I'm okay in recognizing, I'm okay in the investigating, but with this practice period and the intention of the Bodhisattva vow, where I feel like I keep getting stuck is I keep getting back to this core belief I've had since I was really little that I'm not enough. Mm. And so what comes up is, um, oh, there you go again, you got hooked. There, go, there you go again, you got, you used anger and you actually acted from the anger. There you go again, you dissociated. And so it's this shame response. And so it's weird. I'm a little terrified of this practice period because it's, it's, it's making me face my core belief over and over and over again. And then the shame that arises. And I have a hard time sitting with the shame and knowing, like, I can't just resolve and let it go. It's just, it, it hurts. It's so I, I mean, I was putting my hand on my heart to say, God, it's shame. And there's a, I have a, a resource that comes to me, but um, just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, thank you, Karen. And I, and I saw you, I noticed you doing that. Um, you know, and I, I think, I think to be successful with this practice, so to speak, uh, it's, it's not a demand, right? It's not like you have to go through the whole cycle and, you know, make it through successfully uh, to be doing this practice, like even just that first R of like recognizing, I think is like a huge step because think of how much of this is done unconsciously and, and just like reflexively. Right. So to say like, oh, wow, there, I did it again. You know, that, that might be enough, you know, and, and like, uh, like Genevieve said, like sometimes you need to curl up with your cat and just kind of, you know, take it easy for a little while. Like you can titrate this. Can titrate this it's not a demand that you do it a certain way it's just mm -hmm. a here's a way to deepen into this and maybe need to come out or you know how can it's just like a map of exploring these things more so than a, you know a, a set formula is how i think of it is that helpful yeah also um if the shame comes up, that's not something that one can really deal with alone. Usually it's a lot easier if you've got a, your bestie who you can call and talk about it, talk about the shame and, and, and be with that, be kind with that, be caring with that. But that's a lot of times that's a sticking point, getting caught in the shame by yourself because it's hard to get out of. And if you can bring another a close person in, makes a big difference to to get through it mm -hmm. just adding that in from the background thanks Lori yeah and John Eric 
I think it was Trish and then we'll Rosemary. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. So I, I spend a lot of my time um, thinking about the banality of evil and how some of the worst things that people have done is out of, um, I would say, a kind of cowardice to speak up. That, and this, it seems like there's a very potentially delicate line between restraint and cowardice. And I love what you said about this needing to get in touch with an embodied sense. Like how, and so I guess my question, John Eric, is how can we tell the difference? What is the embodied difference between thinking you're restraining and not wanting to do something harmful, so you're pulling back versus doing that in order to avoid conflict and then getting straight onto the path of cowardice and evil. Mm -hmm. What is that? What, what is that, that, that difference in an embodied sense? What are we to look for? Well, I think, um, first it's, uh, that's an inquiry that's, that feels personal to me. Like my embodied sense of what that feels like might be different than your embodied sense. But I think you're, I really love the way you're, um, pulling that out, you know, like, cause there's a difference between just saying and that. That's why this vow captivated me so much of like these things that are like vowing to harm me or whatever, you know, like, should I just bow down towards them because that's what we're asked to do. I, and I don't, I don't feel like that's the right action, honestly. Um, to me, this feels more like a practice of something happens, I get triggered, I go into my own experience, and then I, I move from an old conditioned place towards what I feel like is comfort. I'm missing life as it is, like what's actually happening, right? So if we can use this practice to get more clear of like what's actually happening, then maybe I can become more aware of what is right action. What is right action in this moment? It may not be to just go with this evil that's happening. It might be to do, to do something, but in order to do something in a, a way that's actually compassionate, I have to have the information of what's actually happening and not be operating from my old patterns. How's that link? Rosemary? Hi. Uh, hi, and thank you, John Eric. Um, so valuable. I, I actually <clears throat> was in a situation on Monday where I, I, I absolutely acted out um, in a business situation. Um, uh, something wasn't going the way I thought it should go, and I was trying to explain this, 
and I didn't feel understood in how he was explaining my concerns. And I got loud, um, whiny, frustrated, impatient, and all of those things. And um, I also happened to be on the bus when I was having this call, which you know never you know call like that when you when you're traveling. Um, that kind of made it um, increase the the tension. So um, I what I loved about what you talked about is what I gathered from this whole experience was when I when I don't know things, but I don't know that I don't know them, but I think that I know them. I and it comes to light that I don't, and I have a lot to learn. Um, uh, that I, I, it's like a personal attack. It's it's ridiculous, but that's kind of how I respond. And um, so today, in thinking about well, what was the trigger to recognize that? Now I, and obviously, I have so much to learn about a lot of things. I can um, look at what why I respond that way. Um, and um, see if I can step back in the exercise that we did together. You asked, how did we feel to let go of that? And what I do is I fight. I mean, that's how I've gotten through life is fighting and feeling that I had to fight. Um, really sad to let go of a pattern that I believed in. I believe that this is how you, you know, get through. And uh, so it was very, very helpful to get to that. And I think that can help me to um, anticipate. And also just keep asking myself as I go into situations, well, what do I not know? What do I have to learn here? Mm -hmm. um, and with the Rakasu, for example, there's a whole lot. <laughs> and I've gone, I've gone through some of those reactions <laughs> in that process as well. Thank you so much for this, John Eric. Thank you.